Hey folks, Zach Ostrom here, you Insider Indianapolis Star. It is Monday, February 27th, 2023. Uh, if you never hear this podcast, it will be because I lost power for the fourth time today. Thank you to uh, the windstorm that's blowing through Bloomington. Thankfully, we are, are lucky. I know north of us and east of us, some severe weather is, is impacting some people. So jokes aside, we hope everyone is okay. And uh, be, for, for a variety of reasons, we have probably overused him a little bit. We've been playing him 40 minutes a game uh, here in the last few weeks. But uh, Crimson Cats, Galen Clavio, is kind enough to join us once again. Uh, Galen, thank you for coming back. Mind your banners does not know the concept of load management, but I'm fine with that. Ready to well, roll. Well, I was I, I wanted to bring Tyler in today, but he had class and he was working <laughs> on some stories. What is this education work? And, I don't and, buy it. And he had things to do. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, as a as a father of children, just basically waiting for them to get home every day, so my life can descend into madness. I don't know what that feels like anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine we're going to spend a lot of our time talking about the Purdue game, Galen. Um, but I, I do want to pick your brain on the, the bracketology stuff because that stuff, it feels like is actually starting to clarify for Indiana in, in some pretty meaningful ways. Um, first the Purdue game, um, cause I don't remember if we talked before or after Michigan state, but I think it produced what probably everybody wants us to talk about on the one hand. Um, I wasn't surprised Indiana hung with Purdue. I think there are some ways Indiana has some real matchup advantages on Purdue. Um, I think that, I mean, I said, I, I didn't predict they'd win the game pregame, but I, I thought it would be a competitive game. Um, and I think that you, you certainly saw that sort of the extremes Purdue had to go to, to defend Jack Trace Jackson Davis, the way that it did opened up even more sort of um, uh, what, what is the best word? Basically even more sort of matchup advantages. On the other hand, um, you know, you can't ever go to Mackey Arena and expect an Indiana player to score 35 points um, on 24 shots. Jalen Huchifino was outstanding. And and Indiana as a whole, I think, you know, we can dissect both of these a little bit. I'd like to. But Jalen Huchifino, that was an all-time performance in this rivalry's history. And Indiana as a whole, I think, showed a, a different level of maturity than what we've seen this year in the way that it pivoted from Jackson Davis to Huchifino, in the ways that it it learned and adjusted on the fly to to how Purdue defended Trace Jackson Davis um, to get what was a very, very impressive road win, as impressive of a road win as this program's put up in a long time. Yeah, I mean, so full disclosure, I grew up outside of West Lafayette. I uh, went to high school at Harrison I'm an IU person. Ex-urban, ex-urban West Lafayette. Ex-urb, uh, Tippecanoe County. But I'm an IU person. I'm, I'm a fourth-generation IU person. I've always been an IU fan, uh, even as a kid. I was like the only out IU fan in elementary school. I've been watching this rivalry a long time up close and personal. And I can count on one, maybe maybe two fingers, the types of games that Indiana had at Mackey Arena. Uh, that Indiana's had up there over the course of time. And that that performance by Jalen Lutrofino was an all-timer as far as I'm concerned. I can't remember a freshman, like even like let alone a senior, a freshman coming in and having that kind of an outsized impact on an IU-Purdue game that resulted in an IU victory uh, when both teams were good. And, and that's really kind of the distinction. Like Jay Edwards went in, had a good game his sophomore year. Purdue wasn't very good that year. Um, you know, we've seen Indiana, like they blew Purdue out up there in 2013, but this was one of those where both teams are really good and Indiana just happened to be a little bit better. 
I was really, I think, you know, Purdue had a pretty good game plan. They took away the thing that worked the best for Indiana in the first game. And honestly, it took Jalen Huchifino making shots that most college players, let alone college freshmen, just aren't able to make consistently down the floor, particularly in the first half, in order for Indiana to come up with the win. But they did so convincingly. I mean, you look at the Ken Palm win probability chart and you know, from about the eight-minute mark on, Indiana's got about an 85 to 90% chance of victory. They, they had really sewn it up by that point. I think it's really a testament to how versatile Mike Woodson's coaching approach has been and how he's been able to pull different things out of this roster, get them galvanized. As bad as they played and as kind of as, as poor as their effort looked at times in that Michigan State game, it was also a really weird environment uh, for everybody involved. And I thought Indiana came out with so much more and so much better defensive intensity that lasted for almost the full 40 minutes against Purdue. You combine that with what Jalen hood Shafino did, and that really, to me, equated to the victory. And, and it's one I think Indiana fans will pay attention to and remember for a long time because, I mean, again, it's the first time they've won at Mackey Arena in a decade. Um, just those, you're right. First time at Mackey Arena in a decade, first two game season sweep uh, of Purdue in a decade, only the second time this was per ESPN. Indiana has beaten Purdue twice in the same season when Purdue was ranked in both games. Um, just to give people sort of a, a, some, some context on that. Um, I, I think what was most impressive, you know, both from Hood Shafino's perspective and Indiana's perspective more widely, at least to me, and I, and I watched it back, um, last night and some this morning. When you score 35 points, you're going to make some unlikely shots. You're going to make some remarkable plays. You're going to, you know, ultimately sort of, quote, unquote, be in a zone that 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 just is – it makes you a little bit difficult to defend in any situation. But so much of what Hood Shafino got on Saturday, and in particular what got him going, was not that fluky. And I don't just mean in terms of, oh, he can hit mid-range jumpers. Most people can't. I mean – he was quick to recognize, and Indiana was quick to recognize the lengths Purdue was going to. Matt Painter, who is genuinely like one of my favorite Big Ten coaches to talk to, because he will just be very honest with you. And he'll just like he'll he seems like someone who just likes talking about basketball. Like uh, above everything else, he just likes. I bet if you could just sit him down in front of YouTube, he would just be like, let's pull up this game and I'll just start talking about what they're doing. He was very upfront about we got beat to the rim too many times by Trace Jackson, Davis, and Bloomington. Purdue usually plays drop coverage anyway. They do even more so with Zach Eady. And still, Trace Jackson, Davis, and pick and roll situations was able to get to the rim too much in Bloomington. So they just flattened out everything. They deepened Eady. They refused to give Jackson Davis anything going downhill with or without the ball in his hands. And the extent to which Indiana adjusted, you know, Purdue had that that 13 to six run Mike Woodson called timeout to start the game. After that, it felt like everything Indiana did was basically a learning process of recognizing where the holes were and finding those holes because of what Purdue was, was sort of overdoing in trying to stop trace Jackson Davis. And a lot of that, you know, sometimes it was as simple as Jalen hood, Shafino just, found that soft spot in the drop coverage in front of Edie, but behind or in front of the screen, but however you want to see it behind the screen in front of Edie, however you want to talk about that. And he made a mid range jumper, but it was also, you know, they were running some really interesting sort of staggering actions with two screens up at the top. They went small for a while, partly out of necessity because Edie was getting 
players in foul trouble, a variety of different things. It just, it was a mature performance, not just because Indiana was in an, I mean, that is as loud as I've ever heard that building. It really was. And that's saying something because that place gets, it, 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 it becomes feral in, in the right circumstances. Um, it wasn't just handling the environment or, or the stage 7.30 Saturday night. It was the extent to which you could almost feel like you were watching Indiana solving problems in real time. And I think you and I have used that phrase before when we've done these podcasts um, because we've had you on for like 18 of them this year. Um, one of these days we'll, we'll, you know, we'll pay you for something. Um, <laughs> but maybe just in beer or uh, some of the Serbian meat I picked up at Stefan Kreishnik's uh, parents grocery store. But um we, it felt like we were watching Indiana just, like I said, just solve problems in real time in an incredibly difficult environment to do that. And that's a, a freshman point guard. That's a senior forward. That's all points in between. I just think it speaks very well of this team's readiness for the business end of this season. Not just that they won on the road or against a good team or in a tough environment, but the, what was required of them in, in the full confines of those 40 minutes to do that. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And I look at this, February is hard. You know, I keep telling people this on Crimson Cast that teams struggle in February. We see it all over the country. Very few teams make it through February unscathed, even the very best. Uh, and it's, I think for a team like Indiana, that's still got injury issues, that's had rotational issues, that's had, you know, health issues with their players, even the ones that are playing, it is hard to get through February. And I kind of feel like that Purdue game represented the light at the end of the tunnel to some degree in a way that say the Michigan state game or the Northwestern game did not, which felt very much like they were in the middle of the month um, for Indiana to be able to apply themselves in a way that absorbed the pressure that was in that building and almost ended up kind of deflecting it onto Purdue. Like you were right. Like that was a really vibed atmosphere at the beginning. And when, you know, Purdue hitting that shot at the end of the first half, you were like, well, oh boy, here we go if you're an IU fan. But the IU coming out and playing as well as they did, going on, what was it, a 19-3 to run early on in the second half to seize control of the game. I don't know. I, I, I No, let me back up. I do know IU basketball programs, uh, teams have not been able to do that over the course of the last six or seven years. They have wilted under that pressure more often than not. And... I think this team, and I've been saying it for a while, is just made out of some different stuff. And I think that starts with Mike Woodson. It starts with what he's been preaching. But it also, it's Trace Jackson Davis, who didn't have a great statistical game, but re basically reformatted what he did in the second half and became a low-post distributor that helped the offense to flow. And, you know, Jalen Nuccifino didn't have as good of a second half as he did a first half, but he didn't need to because Trey Galloway stepped up in a big way. Miller Cop hit shots, not just threes, but drove and actually hit some shots. Uh, Race Thompson contributed a couple of times. The, the, this team, what makes this team dangerous in the business end of the season, as you put it, is that they have players that can do those things. And I think where they've struggled is uh, there have been a lot of games where IU hasn't had those players step up and do that. To watch them do it in a game like this, where everything's on the line, it's the biggest profile game they'll probably be in all season, should be something that IU fans get excited about. Now, whether they'll be able to live up to that, you know, that that top shelf that they've established here in both of these Purdue games in February, that's yet to be seen. But the fact that they can do it is something that not a lot of other programs out there, I think, can say because they either don't 
have the personnel or they don't have the consistency in performance. And, you know, Indiana is still trying to get the consistency part, but the fact that they've got those two kind of poles in Jalen Huchifino and Trace Jackson Davis, and they've started to get players who will fill in around them and hit shots, take fouls, create steals, create havoc. That's really exciting, I think, for IU, and it does bode well moving forward. You're, I mean, you're right that, that it was, I think, um, it, it, there were a lot of different players that deserve credit for kind of their role in it. And, and you know, per Ken Palm, Ken Palm has Indiana's lowest once Indiana kind of set off on on the run that took control of the game, I think Purdue got it down to about five. Yep. Um, 53-48. Like, inside where the last eight minutes of the game, Indiana's lowest win probability was 81.2%. So, you, you know, that, that gives you a sense for the extent to which Indiana just, as you said, really did kind of turn. I mean, I mean we've seen that at Assembly Hall, I, 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 not to dredge up bad memories, but like the Ohio State game in 2013 felt a little bit that way where – there was sort of this sense of we're all going to just will this team to win this game and clinch it outright and everything. And then Ohio State just kind of didn't play along. And Indiana, you know, it, 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 everything kind of turned a little bit. Um, I think that probably happened a little bit to Purdue. I think that's fair, too. Um, but it 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 just kind of um, – it – I keep coming back to this, this phrase, and I don't mean to, you know, keep using it, forgive me, but um, – this idea that this team can solve problems on the run and, you know, that that obviously coaching helps with that, game planning helps with that, you know, but like Trace Jackson Davis said post-game that there were times in the huddle when Mike Woodson was kind of trying to draw something up to get him going and he basically just waved him off and said, feed Jalen. You know, he's 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 the one who's going to get us going to get it done for us tonight. If you watch the film, there are multiple times where Trey Galloway, who like began this season as as maybe your sixth man, gets down the floor, recognizes who his defensive cover is and just starts calling for the ball. You know, the idea being just that there's a there's an assertiveness to this team and there is also an ability to recognize what's in front of them and how to like you and I are both soccer fans. Soccer is a sport that requires an immense amount of sort of player-led problem solving because you can't stop the game. You can't go over to the, the 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 coach. Now you can do that in basketball, but not nearly as often as like football or you know to some extent hockey, certainly baseball. Um you there's a lot of it that has to happen with the just with the five guys on the floor. And teams like that are teams that win in March. Obviously teams that have the personnel Indiana has can win in March. You've got Jalen Hood Shafino. He can be a high scorer for you, a high usage player for you. You've got multiple three-point shooters. You've got an all-American big man, all those things, but also teams that can work out on a given night. Okay, our you know, our first our first option isn't working. Our second option isn't working. So now we're just gonna go to the third option and the fourth one and the fifth one. And and when when they counter our third option, you know, we do this instead. And and, and there were some other things. I mean, you know, we, we're talking a lot about offense. I'd love to know what Indiana's defensive game plan was. I wrote this today. They did not double Zach Eady in the first half. And from the beginning of the second half, they basically hard doubled him almost every time he caught the ball. I would love to know if that was intentional because one of Purdue's weaknesses this year has been getting three point happy when they, when Edie gets in traffic. And I would love to know if Indiana just went into halftime saying we have to double him now. There's too many guys in foul trouble. Or if the plan was to let Purdue get comfortable playing through Zach Edie, then take him away after you got out of halftime so Matt Painter and his staff 
didn't have time to adjust in a, a really in-depth way to what you were doing. It just felt like one of the most grown-up performances I've seen from an Indiana basketball team in a very long time when you factor everything in, the emotion and the pressure and the you know the intensity they were able to remove, the poise and the pace they were able to play with, and the extent to which it just felt like everybody, coaches included, and then coaches, staff deserve a lot of credit here too, was just sort of able to just work their way through that game in an incredibly productive and ultimately successful way. We talked, I think, on the last podcast about the PTSD that the IU fan base has from the last several years and and, and watching Indiana wilt in these moments. I, I choose to think that it was an intentional plan, but it was a risky plan to wait until the second half to double Zach Eady. Eady could basically do whatever he wanted in the first half. And it was risky because if Purdue's up by 12... I don't think suddenly dropping hard double teams on Zach Eady in the post is going to get you back in the game. It really took Indiana being within a couple of possessions to make it work, but it worked. And I think Mike Woodson, if it was indeed intentional, again, I think we deserve to give him the benefit of the doubt to say that it is because uh, it was so clear. It was visually like, it was like, wow, if this is a trap that they sprung, this was a really good idea because Purdue had gotten so comfortable with the same offensive pattern on almost every possession that they didn't really know what to do, and that's really what unsettled them long enough for IU to start taking the lead and to extend that lead out. And even though Purdue did have that little moment there with about 12 minutes left where they closed the deficit back down again, and by that point, Indiana had control of not just their defensive approach, but they also were pushing tempo. One of the things I think really stuck out, and, and again, I think goes directly back to a coaching decision and a stylistic uh, decision, was – they were grabbing the ball and running the ball down the floor whenever it was feasible to do so to try to get something into place. And they weren't necessarily always taking shots immediately, but they were trying to put the ball into position where Purdue couldn't get set with what they wanted to do. And it really seemed like it threw them off. That's they were not also, they were yeah. also pressing Braden Smith, not hard, but Trey Galloway was, was on Braden Smith from the catch when Purdue inbounded the ball. Again, that's a pace thing. That's, make him play faster than you want him to make him feel the urgency of he can't just walk the ball up the floor and survey everything. He's got to get up before the 10 second call. He's got to get free of this defensive attention. Then he's got to get everything set. And suddenly he's looking up the shot clock and there's already 12 seconds off of the, the possession. I mean, and to be fair, I think Indiana did a good job accelerating Purdue's pace in Bloomington in different ways. They turned Purdue over a lot more in that game, but I think that has been key to both of these games. And it's kind of one of those things that, you would maybe like to see Indiana be able to do a little bit more of, I know you and I have both talked about how this is not a high turnover team and, and it's not really set up to be one. That's not, that's not typically what Indiana wants to do. They'll force some. Um, and, and every once in a while they'll play a game where they kind of have a rash of, you know, uh, you know, seven or eight and a half, 10 and a half, but it's not a defense that is built on creating giveaways. Um but having, again, that's having that card in your pocket where you play somebody where you recognize maybe you can speed them up. That is something I think Indiana can make make some use of. Not necessarily every night. It's it's one of those things you, you, you're selective with it based on the opponent. But I think it it helped them in both of these games. And frankly, I think it, it helped them a little bit. You know, I, I think about the – I think they probably had Michigan State playing faster at home than Michigan State wanted to be playing. I think they probably had Illinois playing faster – in the road game in Illinois than Illinois. I mean, Illinois wants to play fast, but I think Indiana was a lot better at the tempo that game was played than Illinois ultimately was. 
Um, it's a card you this team could potentially play if they're clever about it. Yeah, I mean, this was the fastest tempoed game that they played. Uh, Zion Brown from the Hoosier Network and Assembly Call had had a stat on this. It was the fastest Big Ten game they played since I believe the Northwestern home game, which you know was all the way back in the first week of January, basically. And you know, I think Indiana has been content to slow the pace down somewhat, settle into a two man game with Trace Jackson Davis. I think they realized early that wasn't going to happen, and they started to pick the tempo up. And it's a tool in the toolkit for this IU team that they haven't had. And I don't think they have it, ironically, unless Xavier Johnson goes out with an injury and Trey Galloway is forced into a position where he's playing 30 to 35 minutes a game and is getting those kinds of reps. Now, you know, I think perhaps Xavier could help have pushed the tempo some along the way, but the fact that now you've got a player in Trey Galloway who provides a different set of skills, it's a better three-point shooter uh, percentage-wise than Johnson is, and just plays kind of a different role. Better three-point shooter percentage-wise than anyone else in the Big Ten in Big Ten. Wild. He is leading the Big Ten. Now, it's only 44 attempts, but I mean, that's per Ken Palm, so take up the Take up your sample size quality quantity with, with him, not me. Well, what's wild is la- last year he was a twenty one percent three point shooter, and this year he's a fifty two percent three point shooter. And the, we need to do a whole like dissertation at some point on what exactly caused IU to be able to suddenly shoot so much better from outside this year versus previous years. That's probably too long for this podcast. But the fact of the matter is, to have a player like him, to have a player like Miller Cop, who now somehow feel comfortable or at least more so with getting shots up quickly and hitting them or at least trying them. Whereas IU seemed to be hesitant both to push tempo and to take open shots from outside. That's really another game changer for this IU team. The fact that it blossoms in this Purdue game is a big help. If they can keep doing that the rest of the way, that's really hard to defend because that's going to open up the post. It's going to open up driving lanes for Jalen hood Shafino. It just, it, it completely changes fundamentally what this offense can do. I think the the other thing I, I did want to talk about um, from that game is Trace Jackson Davis, and you know I think I, I, I and I don't you know this is this is not meant to open this conversation up too widely. That game probably and justifiably puts Big Ten Player of the Year in Zach Eady's hands. Um, you know you can argue Jackson Davis impacts the game in more ways. You can argue that he you know he he, he maybe has a, a more appealing future in the NBA. That's not what that award's for. It's for the most, it's for the best player in the Big Ten in a given year. That has been Zach Eady. Trace Jackson Davis has been outstanding. To be fair, so has Jalen Pickett, who is getting absolutely no appreciation um, for essentially turning himself into Oscar Robertson for about um, two, two and a half months of Big Ten play. But um, that being said, there's been a lot of sort of talk about Trace Jackson Davis's workload. Has he looked tired? Has he, you know, is is the is the physical plus mental sort of or emotional sort of weight of trying to pull Indiana through all these games weighing him down? Um, I, I can't sit here and, and say that this game is better for him because he only played 33 minutes or because he only had to take eight shots. I mean, that's the eight shots is the fewest he has taken since uh, the Penn state game, when he attempted 10, he attempted eight in that um, Kansas game as well. Um, But what I would say is two things. One, I have to think that it is at least a little bit sort of freeing for him to recognize that he does not have to go for 25 and 15 a night for Indiana to win. 
Um, two, I think, you know, you brought this up a little bit before. I think he deserves credit for essentially just going with the flow of that game and recognizing very early on, I don't have to be this player tonight. It's not selfish when a, a player who scores and rebounds the way he does, you know, starts to think, oh my God, I'm not getting my points. How are we going to win this game? It's 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 him trying to take on that responsibility, but he doesn't do that. He just lets the game develop. He has seven assists. You know, I mean, it, it feels like one of those games where it's relevant to sort of talk the way we talk about like a, a, an NBA point guard where we say, well, he scored this many points, but he also had 12 assists that led to 31 points. So he accounted for X number of points. I think three or four of his seven assists led to threes. So again, you start to talk about it and that's 10 points scored, but that's also something in the range of what, like eight, you know, 16, 18 points accounted for. Um, If, you know, if you're Indiana, you don't want that stat line from Trace Jackson Davis very often again this season, but there's obviously growth in both that player and his team being able to see that they can win an enormous road game, an enormous game period without him being an all-world player. Um, There is also, I think, real value in showing that to opponents because, you know, I know we both talked about and a lot of people have been bringing up just around the Big Ten in general, the sense that this is the time of year where you start to get conference fatigue and you start to, you know, you're seeing everybody twice, you're beating each other up a lot, You all just want to get away from each other. I referenced this with someone recently. John Thompson used to say, um, Steve Steve Berkowitz, my my good friend of USA Today, who was in town for the the, um, investigative reporting symposium last week, told me this story that John Thompson used to say he always wanted to go as far west as he could in the NCAA tournament because he wanted to get as far away as possible from anyone who knew his team. Referees, officials, opponents, everybody, you know. If, if if you are an NCAA tournament first weekend team scouting Indiana, you're not sure what you do with that Purdue game because that's that is a game that you look at and you say if they can win that game, and Trace Jackson Davis only gets those numbers, then we can't pigeonhole them as a team where we just take him away and everybody else will be fine. Um, that to me is is a I mean it's a sign of maturity all around, but it is also. It is also the sort of result that that you put a pin in because it puts some doubt in some people's minds as you move into the portion of the season where turnarounds are a lot shorter, familiarity is a lot shallower from opponents. Yeah, I mean, look, a couple of things I'll preface with. A, the strategy should have worked for Purdue. It really did take Jalen Huchifino having a singular game in the history of the series in order to, uh, you know, have Indiana win by the margin that they did. Now that said, I, you know, I, Michigan state tried the same thing and it was successful because Hochefino struggled on the road. So, you know, I, I don't think Indiana can get too comfortable with trace Jackson Davis, not putting up big numbers, but as you said, it has to take a little bit of a load off his mind to know that he does have teammates who can come in and carry the burden when he's off. And he was off in that first half. I mean, they were Purdue defended him very well. He put up some forced shots that didn't work, didn't have any points at the end of the first half, if, if I remember correctly. Uh, and But yet in the second half, he got his 10 points largely through pick and rolls and moving to the basket and, and putting himself in position where Purdue wasn't defending him 
as carefully. Your point about conference fatigue is really well taken. I don't think people realize how hard it is to consistently perform against teams that know exactly what you're planning on doing on a night-in, night-out basis. That goes away largely when you get to the NCAA tournament where there's short amounts of time where you're trying to track you're not getting a full season's worth or two seasons worth of tape on a player. And Trace Jackson Davis is a mature player. I mean, this is a guy who is of professional age. He's been through the rope, you know, he's been through the this role a lot over the course of his career. So I think he knows when he can just back off and lie in wait. And now he's got some teammates that can take advantage of that. I think ultimately for IU as a team, they have to be feeling pretty good about the idea that they can win in multiple ways. It requires them to show up on defense first, and to me, that's been the big distinction where they struggled at Northwestern and where they struggled in the Michigan State game, and even to some degree in that Illinois game that they came back and won, is when they haven't come with that defensive intensity early on and made that the basis for what they were doing. And I think if they continue to do that, the offense will find itself because guys are confident enough and they know where the ball can go whether that's Hood Shafino initiating things or whether that's Trace Jackson Davis tossing things out because he's drawn a bunch of defenders in. So, uh, again, I think IU's got to feel like they're in pretty good shape heading into March. They've got to execute, but that's the case with every basketball team out there. And I think people forget sometimes that there's a lot of other programs, a lot of other teams that have had similar struggles with consistency and execution that IU has had. IU's The, the great thing for IU right now is they've got really good players that can take advantage when they do figure it out. Let's talk about March uh, briefly. Um, very quickly, Big Ten tournament scenarios basically boil down to win both games this week. Indiana gets the double bye, lose either or both game. Indiana doesn't get the double bye. Um, there is still a very narrow path to Indiana getting the number one overall seed in the Big Ten tournament, which um, I'm going to leave to one side because that feels like it's it's sort of the fodder for Twitter conversations. Um, but it just, I guess if you're curious, Purdue would have to lose out. Indiana would have to win out. Northwestern and Maryland would each have to lose one more game. Um, it feels, and you know, bracketing better than me, but I, I tweeted this just a few minutes before we started. It feels like the floor is really starting to harden under Indiana as a four seed. Um, if they were to sweep this week and that's not easy, Iowa is obviously feeling very good about itself after a ridiculous game against Michigan state. Michigan is going to see Indiana as the biggest possible prize in its pursuit of a sort of last last minute sprint into the NCAA tournament field. But if Indiana, Indiana will be favored in both of these games, um, I think Ken Palm has them both at about a 70-71% chance of victory. Um, if Indiana goes 2-0 this week, it feels to me like they're pretty much guaranteed a four, um, barring something absolutely catastrophic in Chicago. And while I think getting to a three would be tough without a deep run in the Big Ten tournament, which, as we saw last year, still, you know, sometimes that matters and sometimes we overestimate the impact of the conference tournaments. Um, but it feels to me like they're a lot closer to a three right now than a five. Is that fair in your mind? Completely. And actually, I would argue they might be a three already because Tennessee has fallen off. Virginia has fallen way off. They had they had a catastrophic weekend or week this past week as far as their seeding was concerned. And look, I mean, Indiana just picked up probably one of the three or four best away from home wins that anybody will have all year. Rutgers was the only other team that had won at Mackey. Purdue's still in the top five in the AP poll. 
that's a really good win. That travels a long way when it comes to the committee. And you look at that, you add that to the win at Xavier, the win at Illinois, the overall profile that IU's got, it's really strong. It's hard to divine exactly what the committee is going to look at with IU, but as far as the floor being a four, yeah, I think if they finish the week and they are, you know, uh, thirteen and seven in the conference and twenty-two and nine going into the Big Ten tournament, even if they lost the first game, I would have a hard time seeing them falling out of a four with that. And at this point, I, I think there's an equal argument for them being a three and them being a four. I don't think we'll really know what the committee's going to be leaning on. But keep in mind, the committee in that initial de- deliberation had them as the top four seed of the four that were in the four seed category. And that was before Indiana won at Purdue. And it was before Indiana had won at home versus Illinois. So I got to think that that's bumped them up a little bit in the overall pecking order. I wouldn't be surprised to see them in either category. We got about like four minutes left, but I, the one other thing I wanted to run past you was um, you're right in, in, in so far as it's hard to know kind of what the committee's feel is. And I know that when the, I, I, I couldn't watch the bracket reveal because Indiana was playing, but I know that I think people kind of tried to press Chris Reynolds, who's the, the committee chair a little bit on sort of not just sort of just Indiana, but like just getting some criteria out for why they put people where they did. And he was pretty vague, which you understand. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to commit to anything. These, these, this is always a bit of a movable feast, but it does seem like Indiana, at least in the brief period in time, you know, the three games that they've played since the bracket was revealed, they've only added to what it seems like would be good for them. Wins against teams in the tournament, quality wins on the road, and a a a really solid sort of profile at home that makes you think there's no, there's no quad three loss at home. There's no, hey, what was going on that night kind of thing. Even that Northwestern loss ultimately looks fine now. Um it does feel like I, I mean I don't want to project with the committee, but it does feel like if it if you can make an educated guess about like what the committee saw in Indiana to put them at the top of the four seed line to begin with, which I think surprised a lot of people, it feels like Indiana's only strengthened those arguments in the three games since, and that's why again I feel like maybe that that floor is starting to harden underneath them. Two things about the process: one, it's a committee. And the committee votes and people have different things that they think are important. And it's essentially a summation or an average of what everybody thinks is important. And so there's not really one set of criteria that you can bank on the committee thinking is the most important thing. Some people think it's going to be road and neutral record. Some people think it's going to be record against teams that are going to be in the tournament, you know, whatever net rating. There's a bunch of different factors. With that said, you're right. Indiana burnished their reputation here with what they've done. The Michigan State loss doesn't hurt. It's a it's a quad one loss to a team that's solidly in the field. Even the Northwestern loss, which has been quad two forever, might end up being quad one by the end of the season. Uh, and that's a team that's a potential five seed, maybe a six seed. So that, that's really not going to hurt you. Uh, so look, I think Indiana right now is in has got to feel like they're in good shape. They need to take care of business at home against Iowa and Michigan if they want to secure a protected seed. And look, the argument and the why Indiana, I think, wants to maybe win their first game in the Big Ten tournament is if you can secure a three seed, now suddenly you have a much better chance of being in Columbus or being in Greensboro, which is a bit longer of a drive, but is at least still drivable for IU fans, feeding into the Louisville regional should you get past those first two games. That is huge for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is you can have fans there as opposed to having your fans travel to Albany 
which is not necessarily right in the middle of Big Ten country, at least not yet. We'll see if the conference expands between now and the start of the tournament. Uh, so, look, I, I think it's all there for IU. And as I keep reminding people, teams are going to lose that are not Indiana. Uh, you know, the teams in the Big East, teams in the SEC that are in the mix for these seeds that I use in the mix for, not all of them are going to win all the way out. It's a moving structure, as you said, and I think Indiana's really positioned themselves well to take advantage of that if they can take care of business over the next three games that they play. It does feel like the next two to three are going to be very big for Indiana, particularly, I think, just finishing out solidly at home feels like kind of a, a, a real sort of benchmark for this team. Um, we'll leave it there uh, for Galen Clavio of Crimson Cast. Thank you again so much for joining us. I'm Zach Osterman. You've been listening to Mind Your Banners uh, for the Indianapolis Star and the Bloomington Herald Times. We will talk to you soon. We might even be back with one of these later in the week. We'll see.